Hello and welcome to this week's PropCast with Andrew Teacher. I'm Managing Director of Real Estate at Montford and it's an absolute privilege to be joined this week by Tom Riordan, who's Chief Executive of Leeds City Council. Leeds playing a shining role in the real estate arena over the last couple of months with the very, very successful second edition of the UK Reef Conference, which went off with an absolute bang. Tom Riordan, great to see you. Now, I hear, Tom, that you've got your weather-zapping zeppelins out to zap away the clouds and rain and bring out the sunshine for this. Are you worried about any of the downside climate effects of tampering with the weather? (laughs) Good to see you, Andrew. Yeah, I mean... There's a lot of people asking a lot of questions about how we've managed to get can like sun two years in a row in Leeds and will we be able to get a hat-trick next year? But yeah, we've got a big lever in the Civic Hall here that we pull every now and then. And as long as we don't do it too often, it's fine. Oh, okay. Well, that's good to hear. Now, you and I met a long time ago, like a lot of people that I bully onto this podcast each week. And when we last spoke properly, I think we've spoken over the years with some of the developments that we've been involved with as a business. But you were previously at Yorkshire Forward, which was essentially the business growth agency for the region. And yeah. we're seeing a level of, we're not quite in the return of the RDAs yet, but we're heading in that direction. And I'd be interested just to start this conversation with your view on regional development and where we're at. We've heard a lot about levelling up over the last few years. And I'd just be interested in hearing from you how relevant that is to the people of Leeds and what you think we need to do to answer this big, big challenge about driving productivity and economic growth back across the country? Yeah, I think it's one of the big issues for the general election next year, isn't it? And one that I think everybody's bothered about. For the people of Leeds, I think it's about jobs and the success of the city. And, you know, we've managed to achieve that in the last few years with major regeneration programmes, particularly to the city centre, but also lots of house building happening. The structures that allow that to happen, I think local governments got to be at the heart of that. And I think that's often missed by people with the other agencies that are involved, as was the RDAs, the LEPs, you know, the combined authorities now. If you don't have a decent local government leadership at both political and officer level, I think you run into problems. So I think that's got to be right. As well as that, you know, I think the mayors are here to stay. I don't see the RDAs coming back, however much someone like me might secretly want that to happen. I think the mayoral CAs are the way to move forward and give them more powers. But I think we've got to make sure they don't become a sort of mini Whitehall in the regions. I think they've got to be clearly empowered about strategic infrastructure delivery. And that's where you get the productivity right. And that's where the problem is in the north of England at the moment. The big problem for us is transport. And there's been massive underinvestment lots of years. And that's got to be put right. And we need people to do that who aren't sitting in a desk in Whitehall thinking about what it's like to travel on a train or not travel on a train, wait for one on a platform somewhere in West Yorkshire or Greater Manchester. We need people here empowered and accountable to deliver an integrated train, rail, metro service, bus service in the way that London does. Yeah, and there's something we've talked about on this podcast for the last five years constantly, and I've been talking about this for a long, long time. And I think you can look at particularly the tram network in Manchester, which has massively bolstered the productivity of some of the outer districts and certainly made housing development much more pronounced and much more viable, right? Yeah, I mean, I think getting that viability and getting those links into make it easier for people to get around. People talk about a productivity puzzle, 
in the UK. There's not a productivity puzzle in our part of the world. You need a decent transport system, and that's the best way you can improve productivity. And we're doing a great job to build houses here. We're in the top three in the country five years in a row. We're building over 3,000 a year, but we're doing that despite the system rather than because of it. And we need that integrated transport system to get even more investment and to make it affordable for people to get to and from work and education. Yeah. And I think one of the measures of success, whenever I look at student retention figures from many of the northern cities, you guys are kicking it out of the park. And that's quite a very clear and tangible measure of success of people wanting to stay. I mean, Leeds has always been a very, very popular student town with Leeds University and obviously the Music College. But the fact that people are staying more in the city cements that success, right? Yeah, definitely. We've turned it from a brain drain into a brain gain, we like to call it. And we have 50,000 students a year. And a lot of them come from the south of England and they love it. But then traditionally, they then go back and get a job down in London or elsewhere. And the fact that more and more of those people are now choosing to stay here is a massive advantage to us. And together with the demographic advantage we've got, together with neighbours like Bradford, where we have a growing young population, unlike a lot of other cities, I'd like to say it's down to the fantastic leadership of the council that the reason why Channel 4, Burberry, Sky, UK Investment Bank, Bank of England come here, it's probably more to do with that demographic advantage that we've got. And they know they're going to be able to recruit people and retain good young people coming through the system. It's also just a bit more fun in the north. Definitely, yeah. yeah. We like a good party. So sorry, I'm, I'm not trying to undermine <laughs> yourself, but I mean, some of these things aren't about quality of executive. It's just sometimes it's a bit more fun somewhere. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. No, that cultural bit of what you do and the music scene and the sort of vibe, as you call it, in the city is a massive part of why people want to be here, and they love it. I'd say to anyone who wants to be a student in Leeds or young person in Leeds, it's just such a fantastic time to be in the city. Whatever your interest is, it's a great place. And even now, Leeds still has the best vintage shops anywhere on the planet for anybody considering the city for their kids' universities in September. But look, let me challenge you on something. Though. You've talked about the city centre, and that's a big thing. You've had some great names. You've mentioned some of them, Burberry Channel 4, massive investments from homegrown companies like Moda Living, Cadet Group, you know, building game-changing, build-to-rent communities. But have you timed this wrong, Tom Reardon? You're doubling the size of the city centre at a time where more people are working from home, people want to sit in their gardens with their animals, with their you know, kids running around. They don't want to be in the city centre, do they? Why are you doing that? Is this not wrong? I think the Leeds city centre traditionally is quite walkable and self-contained. And actually, it's been a, quite an advantage. So the retail car that we've redeveloped over the last decade with Trinity and Victoria Gate have happened during a period where lots of you know, retail development has stopped. And so we've almost finished the retail core in that part of the city really effectively. We've moved the business district to the west of the city centre, down Wellington Street, really successfully, close to the railway station. But actually, there's a lot more room for us to grow in terms of that housing and city living bit of what we do. So you mentioned Moda, which is a great, you know, so your development near Quarry Hill, which is really succeeding next to the new college. We've got the South Bank, as we call it, which is a bit like, think of Edinburgh Newtown, is the ambition that we have for that part of the city. 
record investment, record cranes in the city at the moment. And that's mainly around city living and build to rent and housing. So I think that's the bit that we are doubling to. So we're not doubling so that we get lots more retail. We've got what we need, I think, now. But we are seeing a mix of office and housing in those other parts of the city. And we've got a fantastic plan for an innovation arc, as we call it, linking up the new hospital development with our five universities and our brilliant tech sector, which is growing really, really fast. So yeah, I think you're right to ask the question. And I don't think people's working patterns will be the same in the future. But I think there's enough in what we're doing to be sustainable. Well, let's break down those two things. So you talked a little bit about the South Bank Regen- uh, rege- no. <laughs> he talks a bit about the South Bank regeneration redevelopment. I can't say it this morning. Too many glasses of champagne last night. <laughs> Hats off to Harrods for that party. But it's a five hundred million pound development. That's huge, huge development. And you've got pretty big ambitions. Your housing strategy that you published recently—it's got some big numbers in it. How are you going to deliver all that? Private sector partnerships. The thing we've done in Leeds, which is interesting, is I'd call it unsubsidized growth. You know, if you sat in the Treasury, you think, well, we're going to have to throw them a load of money to hit those housing targets. Actually, we've done it with very little intervention from government agencies. And the reason we've done it is because the private sector likes leads because they know what they're going to get. They know that we're not just going to throw stuff up and we're not bothered about quality. They know that we're bothered about carbon and the quality of the public space. And we're going to put effort and our resource into making that work properly in terms of the spaces between the buildings. But people like working with us and so we have a wide and growing range of private sector partners who are delivering this and that's how it's going to happen in every day in leeds you need to hit our housing target over a hundred live sites you're never going to get that just with the big house builders so we've got a lot of really good medium-sized companies smaller companies who we're working with as well as the big boys and girls and that's working for us so yeah it's public private partnership is the way to make it happen and are you concerned about some of the architecture and some of the build quality of stock that has gone up historically i mean certainly some of the stuff that went up in leeds just around the gfc wasn't of the greatest quality i remember being up there in 2008 filming with robert peston when everything was falling down next to some unfinished sites and that's not just a leeds problem i think that's a problem everywhere london birmingham manchester but there's a lot of quite crappy towers that have been built over the last 15 20 years And that's a problem that we're going to have to face into at some point. I don't think you'll find that in Leeds. There was an issue for about a couple of years when the crash happened in 2007 and Leeds became a sort of bit of a poster child for, oh, they've built too much and it's not of the right quality. But I think that's changed completely. And I think we learned some lessons from that and definitely not a place where you'll see that happening. Everything we're doing is a better quality with what we're leaving behind. The Moda stuff is a good example of that, as you know. And I think we're putting much more thought into the quality of the stock and whether it's going to last and what it's going to cost to heat and how are you going to do that, all those sort of things, putting a district heating system into the city to decarbonise some of these developments as well. So, yeah, no, I think there may be other targets for that criticism, but I don't think Leeds is that. And how do you think we are going to fare over the next years in terms of reducing climate impact of development because you're building quite a lot of stuff it's going to generate a fair amount of emissions now the yorkshire region has been a pioneer in mmc modern methods of construction there's a number of major modular builders in and around the city ilka homes and top hat well they're not in leeds but not too far away is there more scope 
to build off site for a lot of what you're doing. You know, you've talked about the walkability of the city and how you're almost going from more of a Scandinavian approach than a North American, to use your words, Tom. Yeah, yeah, we are. And I think that does lend itself to those modern methods of construction. I don't think that's quite been cracked yet at the scale that I think some people feel is needed. Well, does it not require you as a city or any other city to go, right, we're committed to achieving these climate targets. We're going to prioritise this. We're going to help you create that market. So you don't need to subsidise people, but you might be able to say, right, 25% of everything we're going to consent has to have MMC to 50, 60%. Yeah, I don't know whether MMC is the way you do it. I mean, it's a fair challenge. I think if you look at the climate innovation district that we've got with Situ down off the city centre, you know, that's passive house. The cost of heating one of those homes, a month's energy bill is the equivalent of a year in there. And it's a massive difference. You know, they've tried to cut down car dependency by about half. I think that is more the future. And that's what we're trying to encourage here. And that's what's happening in Leeds. But we're hitting our targets without the need for that so far. Personally, I think something needs to be done with the valuation system in the country. And I've talked to policymakers, the big banks about this as well. I think until you start factoring in how much it costs to run a building in commercial and you know residential terms, hardwire that into the calculation to make a viability, then I don't think you'll make the difference that you need on carbon. Because once you start to do that, then it does lead you down the path of much more sustainable methods of construction and sustainable methods of valuing and running a city like ours. Yeah, yeah. But let's go back to healthcare. You talked about Leeds Hospital, which is one of the biggest live projects in Europe of its kind, being designed by Perkins and Will. LNG has funded a large element of that. And you've managed to get in just before the doors were closed on the Boris Johnson, former Prime Minister's hospital building campaign. What opportunities come out of that? Well, I'm thinking around life sciences, which is obviously a big part of the story now in Oxford and Cambridge, and you as an Oxford grad will be fully aware of all that. We'll come back to that in a minute. But what's the opportunity here to create that sort of canvas in Leeds? Because people wouldn't typically think about Leeds as being a potential capital for healthcare excellence, but it could be. Yeah, I mean, it is already in terms of some of the cancer and heart treatments that happen in the city. But I think the thing that we have, we did a piece of work with MIT in Boston and Sydney, Oslo, Monterey, cities across the world, this program that you sort of test your economy against Silicon Valley and other parts of the world and say what you really, really got the big opportunity around. That came out as health tech for us because we have the NHS based in the city. We have Department of Health based here. And we have the biggest teaching hospital in Europe. We have a brilliant and growing tech sector with a tradition of health research going back to the Thackeray Museum that gives us a sweet spot. And so that's where our growth is happening, particularly in the tech sector, tech for good, you might call it. We have TPP and EMIS, the big health data companies in the city. So yeah, that's where the opportunity is and the physical manifestation of that will be this innovation arc around the new hospital development and yeah really exciting and I think we would never compete on life sciences per se with somewhere like Cambridge but we can compete I think globally and that's what MIT told us on health tech and this sort of tech for good solve the problems of the world in Leeds and then take them around and do them throughout the world because our demographic is very diverse but it's typically average sometimes it's good to be average and our demographic is a good place. People to have been telling me that for a very long time, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> we won't talk about football either. Uh, then we'll come back to that at the end. So what does an innovation arc mean? Because it sounds like great marketing lingo, but if I'm a tech firm wanting to start up, how much money are you going to give me? Yeah, well, we're going to get innovation zone status. And one of the things we're talking to the government about is some tax breaks as part of that. So that could be part of the mix. But basically being part of an ecosystem of a new part of the city where I'd describe it as imagine a science park in the city centre, not out on a greenfield site somewhere where you can do all your laboratory research, you can be next to the techies who are sort of having their cortados. You know, we're very go-ahead in Leeds these days, as well as maybe some city... So Tom's referring to a Ponzi kind of coffee, not Nelly Cortado. Is it Nelly Fasado, was it, the pop singer? It was, yeah, 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 no, Cortado, yeah, no, it's like half a flat white, isn't it, really? It's just, (laughs) you know, it's a bit like an innovation arc. It's just like a science park in the city centre. That's the best way to describe it. We don't have those in North London. We have cups of tea where I live. Let's talk a little bit more about that because what you're describing, this DNA of collaboration, uh, has really come through the last five, six years. I think historically some people looked at Leeds and found it a bit standoffish prior to the law. I don't know if that's the criticism you accept. I think Leeds is big. It has big institutions and it could sort of do its own thing. So it didn't really think it needed to work in partnership as much and I guess when I came in, I was brought in to change that and to build on the great success that they'd had in the city, but actually to be a place that people really wanted to gravitate to and work with. And so, yeah, we've built everything we've done has been in partnership and we have team leads, we call it, you know, the the private sector, as much as us are responsible for where the city is in success terms. And that was cemented in COVID and people love doing things together and, you know, working together and you can't achieve your goals as a developer as an investor unless you have a progressive council and a progressive partners and universities hospital etc in the city to work with and that's the great opportunity here and when you work in Leeds you work with all of us not just with one of us and that's the big difference I would say these days. Hmm. I mean is there an opportunity to collaborate with other cities I mean you talked about the health tech opportunity and clearly if you can align that with some of the other big academic institutions you know, whether that's Cambridge, Manchester, Nottingham, that have all sorts of specialisms, that would speed up your own opportunities. Yeah, I think Mon, the sum of the parts is what it's all about. And I think that's what the Northern powerhouse idea didn't really pull off because it didn't really put any money behind what was a really good idea. And if Was you... it also because the cities just didn't want to collaborate? I mean, again, I'm throwing rocks no. here as a southerner. But yeah, I... yeah, no, I understand that. And, you know, there's the Cameron thing about, oh, well, Yorkshire people hate each other more than they hate everyone else, all this rubbish. Actually, there's lots and lots of collaboration happens between particularly the bigger cities of the north. You know, we work really closely with Manchester. Joanne and I work regularly together. The Bevan, James, the leaders do. Andy and Tracy, the mayors. We have quite common challenges often. And although we are distinctive and different, we have a common interest to get the transport system across the north working better and lobbying together on that so there's a huge amount of collaboration happens actually interestingly we collaborate with london quite a lot these days so we do quite a lot of work with camden because we share the british library you know the two bookend train stations of the east coast main line we have innovation districts ourselves and them and so we've learned a lot working together collaboration is what it's all about and i think when you put the world leading researchers we have in those universities you mentioned and we go out to the world together, then it's a winner. But divide and rule and make us work separately and don't connect us up in transport terms, then we're all going to be poorer for it. 
I'd also say I could talk really positively about virtually every major city outside London and London, actually. Some of my best friends are Londoners. You know, <laughs> it's a bit of an untold story of this country. We have this pecking order in this league table or who's top at the moment. But actually, go to Liverpool, to Newcastle, Leeds, Sheffield, you know, Manchester, Birmingham. You'd have a great time. They're great cities. They've regenerated. They need more help. But part of the UK message should be much more that we have these fantastic cities with brilliant culture. And that's the reason why students across the world will have come into them. Are you worried about the current visa crackdown and the effect that might have on students, which have obviously underpinned a lot of your economic growth and certainly a lot of housing? Yeah, I am. There's got to be a recognition of the value that this brings to us as a country and the universities particularly post brexit i think are our window to the world in a way because you build up this network of soft power i used to work in the un and the number of times an african delegate or a japanese delegate or a another country would come up and say oh i loved it in aberdeen or i loved it in leeds or you know nottingham that's part of our place in the world and what needs to change? Because the political narrative seems pretty set, doesn't it, on shutting the doors? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously everybody wants sustainable immigration levels and something that's going to bring additionality and value to what we've got now. We have a lot of people who leave the country as well. We don't often talk about that, but we need more people to come to fill the skills gaps that we've got, basically. And I think just getting that more sustainable and getting it right is what's needed and getting the arrangements about that right. Cleverer people than me can work out how to do that. But, you know, the points-based system that places like Australia and others have seemed to work pretty well. So I don't see why we can't have that here. Mm, but, I mean, it worked well before, didn't it? And as a city with a big, big focus on healthcare, you must be really feeling the post-Brexit exit of so many health professionals. We see ourselves as a global city. We're celebrating this year. We wanted to be the European capital of culture and we weren't allowed to because of Brexit. So we sort of declared ourselves the winner anyway and have had a big cultural festival. Um, £28 million <laughs> we've raised for it and it's been amazing. Fantastic stuff going on, opera company, repertory theatre, world-leading ballet, you know, as well as a fantastic growing music scene in Leeds. And we're hosting a big delegation of European leaders here in the next month so the links you have with the rest of the world don't stop because of brexit no they don't but surely you must feel like your hands are being tied behind your back when you've got this massive open door to growth as you've described and as most developers that i know would describe but it's difficult to get people in and we're potentially shutting down the door to as you say one of our greatest exports which is university yeah look leeds was called the 50 50 city in brexit because we just voted to remain it's a very um, young city. I reckon if you re-round that now, you get a different result. But yeah. I don't want to pull you into difficult yeah, I sidings. I guess what I'm saying is I've lived both sides of the argument from working in the city and running the city over that period. And I do understand that dichotomy that we have as a country. For me, London's the capital of the world. So London feels it most because of what's happened. But actually, cities do as well. But then I also see the other side of it where you've got people who don't want wage growth to be stifled and you know public services to be under more pressure because we don't have enough money or people to run them so i see both sides of that we live both sides of it in the city like leeds every day but i do think getting that visa situation right for the health professionals and the tech professionals that we're going to need to 
drive our economy is absolutely one bit of this that we need to fix. The visa point is something that we've made many, many times. Let's change some. I don't want to get stuck on Brexit. You've recently announced an enhanced mental health service in Leeds, a subject very important to you, Tom. Tell us about that. What's the thinking? What are you doing? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if you look at a lot of the pressure on something like A&E services or if you talk to any CEO at the moment about their sickness levels, I think you'll probably find stress and mental health is number one. So it's much more of a central issue, I think, for everybody these days. And we're trying to galvanise the whole city around being a place where people can be a bit more mentally healthy and mindful. And, you know, the use of public space, the way we're trying to develop the city, the services we provide, we're trying to enhance around that. And yeah, I've been very committed to it. My mum's bipolar. So I grew up with mental health in the house and I understand what it means to people to go for most of their lives being fine and then suddenly you're in crisis. We have loads of families like that every day in Leeds. So we want to be a city that is compassionate and cares for those people, but also doesn't stigmatise that happening. You know, there's nothing wrong with having a mental health problem and you can be right as rain a day later for some people. So we need to improve people's knowledge and education about that as well. Yeah, no, that's a really interesting subject. And in terms of just going back to some of the cultural elements, is there more that can be done? Because this is a big problem, the defunding of the arts, particularly outside of the capital. And with COVID hitting anybody that's touring or performing music, comedy, theatre, whatever it is, everyone's been hit. Is there more that can be done when it comes to planning and licensing? Because this is one of the complaints from those communities is that licensing is too militant. You've got too many nimmers that complain about noise, even if the noise was there before they were. And all of this stuff combusts in more downward pressure on some of these amazing elements, which is the reason for people going to many cities in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I think having those venues and those experiences that people have in them, it's such a fundamental part of people's lives. And it's why people love cities. Cities are not there to be planned perfectly or to be gentrified. You know, they're there to be different and to have all sorts of people and to have a bit of edginess at times. And so I think these venues are absolutely vital to the future of cities like ours. And I think part of that is getting the licensing and the planning right and recognising, as you say, that actually sometimes people who complain move there in the full knowledge that these venues were there. But equally, I think you've got to work with the venues themselves and make sure that you've got a good, healthy plan for music in a city like Leeds and that you get people collaborating and working together on that. The Bruise and L is a great example for us of something that is, I mean, it's legendary within the music industry and it's run by fantastic people. And the reason it exists is because of those people. So nurturing them and making sure you plan the city properly as it expands and doesn't envelop places like that is really, really important. We've tried to do it in parts of our city centre and off city centre like Mabgate, where we've worked with a charity and the creative community to make sure that happens. And it's not just all luxury flats. Your point is a good one, because I think these places often, they just don't make any money. So they don't work as operational businesses. And that's why they often get converted to resi, because you know, who's going to take a loss on it? But the argument I would make as a musician and as someone that worked at the NME 20 odd years ago is that there's an inherent economic value, not least the cultural value, to 
you as your role of CEO of the city council to having these things here and that I would suggest that all city councils, you know, if they need to be subsidised, need to have heritage wrappers around them, then find a way to do it because I think, you know, you're right, these are heritage buildings and they provide far more in terms of soft value than simply flogging a few watered-down Jack and Cokes on a Friday night. But look, the other thing I wanted to talk about was how you've ended up as a Middlesbrough supporter. Yeah, it's, well, my dad believed that failure should be a really important part of one element of your life. <laughs> they nearly so had he, quite a good season. So he gave me Middlesbrough, Yorkshire and England as my sports clubs. Yeah, no, being a Borough fan is character building, but we came from that part of the world just south of there, a place called North Allerton, and my dad worked in Middlesbrough, in the Borough, as it's known. And yeah, I absolutely love football. I played Sunday League football right at the bottom of the FA Pyramid for about 30-odd years. And yeah, season ticket holder at Borough, it causes a few problems with me and my job when Borough are doing better than Leeds. And I've got two games next season where I'm going to have to hide on social media for two weekends unfortunately Leeds getting relegated but yeah no Borough are a big part of my life and yeah we've got a great manager now Carrick I think he's going to be a future England manager there's my prediction he's great he's got a bit of that Ferguson we're going to score more than you lot well yes it's a bold prediction and I mean you had a really interesting upbringing so you attended Oxford University joined the civil service what was that like? You worked on international environmental policy, among other things. Yeah, I was really lucky in the civil service. I just landed in the right spot at the right time. And I was in the team that produced the first ever action plan on climate change in the world, actually, and represented the UK and the UN. It was quite easy in those days because you just said no to everything. <laughs> but it sounds better than it was. But no, it was an amazing opportunity. Civil service was a bit like Oxford for me. I felt a real fish out of water to start with and everyone sounded so intelligent. And it's got a particular culture, the civil service, where it's a bit, not a debating society, but you know, it's all about winning arguments and it's like a big game of chess against the other departments. And so there's a lot of frustration working in a place like Whitehall, as well as rewards. You know, it's very challenging. And Is it still like that, do you think? I think it is a bit. I don't think they focus enough on delivery and how you're going to get things done. I think there's too much of an inward focus on the different departments and the machinations of Whitehall rather than whether you've got businesses, colleges, universities, hospitals, councils to actually do stuff. Because you've so been turned like, down for quite a few levelling up fund bids, haven't you, as a city? I think when they write the history of the last 30 years and regeneration, that will appear either at or towards the top of the list of how not to do it. We won in the first round and then they changed the rules right at the last minute to say that you couldn't win in the second round if you'd won in the first round and we put eight bids in. So if only they'd told us. Yeah. And in terms of your time at Leeds City Council, you joined in 2010 and you've overseen significant transformation, haven't you, of education, particularly uprating the offset ratings and saving hundreds of millions of pounds in efficiency savings. How inefficient was it before you took over if you've saved 300 million quid? <laughs> it's a lot of money. It is a lot of money, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you can have debates about austerity and again, they'll write the history of it all. I think there was inefficiency and there was duplication and we did need to cut some of that out. But I would say about half of it was not necessary and just cut right to the bone and has caused us to have to cut right back on some of the services as many councils have across the country. So 
yeah, there was some of it that was needed, but some of it that I think was, in retrospect, the wrong thing to do. And how should we be shaping the future of some of these services? I mean, we talked earlier about the hospital and a lot of the investments going into that, but actually many, many meaningful things need to happen far more in the community, don't they, than simply in hospitals. How are you as an organisation battling that given the budgetary constraints given the cultural behemoth of the nhs which wants everything done in hospitals even though a lot of things will be much much better served through pharmacists optometrists and many other alternative health professionals which kind of get the face palm on a minute yeah the irony of our system is that no one likes going into hospital but everyone wants to throw all the money in the protection at the hospitals and i think your way you've described it is really the future together with tech and a lot more self-knowledge and self-treatment that will come through the tech changes that are going to happen. I think the more we can get people to live independently in their homes for longer, the less it'll cost the state, the healthier the workforce will be, the country will be. So the model where you almost go back to not the cottage hospital, but somewhere where you know you can walk in to get quick help on something or quick advice about something rather than having to go through this incredibly clunky and disconnected system, you know, once you get into the NHS as it currently works. And there's little inefficiency, I would argue, in local government now. There's a lot of inefficiency in the NHS that needs to be changed. And the way to do that is to get it to be a much more community-based, GP, pharmacy, self-care-based system that then you can free up the hospitals to do that brilliant, amazing specialist care that they're so good at. Hmm. And do these powers exist within local government right now, or are these the reforms that you think need to be made? I think a bit like the Northern Powerhouse and Transport, a lot of warm words and tea and sympathy, but not the money behind it to make it happen. So the big money is still gravitating towards the big hospitals, and the NHS is still running a very top-down way, and not a way that will allow the sort of things that we're talking about to happen properly. And prevention is the thing that, you know, is the real key to this so that you get upstream of problems. We don't help people who are homeless just when they're made statutorily homeless. We help them about two months before and try and sort out the money situation and the housing situation and any wraparound mental health support they need. And lo and behold, we have two thirds less homelessness in Leeds than other cities in the UK. It's all about getting upstream of problems, helping people to help themselves earlier the vast majority of people don't want to just take money off the state. They want to sort themselves out. So, yeah, that's where we need to go as a country, I think. And do you think that compassion has been lost? Because it feels like it to me personally. And whenever I come back into this country, it feels like a lot of that compassion. And I was joking earlier about it being more fun in the north. Well, I wasn't meaning that as a glib comment. It just seems mm. at the minute that this country has lost its compassion. It's lost some of the fun. And I wonder whether that's a political cloud that's come over us the last few years. Yeah, I think we've been forced into trenches, haven't we? And everything's binary in arguments. So you've either got to be for or against Brexit. You've got to be for or against immigration. You've got to be for or against the NHS. And I just think the world isn't like that. You know, the world is more nuanced. Most people sit in the middle ground of the 80% of people who actually don't have a ideological view about this stuff they want to understand it a bit better and I think yeah kindness I talk a lot to our staff we have 15,000 staff you know kindness as a leader as a CEO you know saying that immediately puts you in this bracket of oh god he's been soft you know what's he talking about never to get that in the private sector sort of thing but kindness compassion understanding people valuing what they do 
gives you so much more than this sort of battle that the media and social media often drives us to sort of be at loggerheads, definitely. Mm. But that's really well put. One final question before we go, conscious of your time, Tom. Anybody that's listening to this that wants to come and be part of your growth journey, whether it's health tech, whether it's housing, whether it's public realm, whether it's reducing carbon, what should they do? Who are the people that they need to go to and how can those opportunities be shared, collaborated with and opened up? Yeah, we're open for business and yeah, just come direct to me, I would say. We have a fantastic team, Martin Farrington, Angela Barnacle, Eve Roodhouse in our regeneration and economic team. But come to me, Tom Reardon on Twitter, the original, no numbers, no extra dashes. Um, <laughs> Barack Obama followed me on Twitter. That's my claim to fame, as well as Jacob Rees-Mogg asking me to do his laundry in 1988. But apart from that, yeah, Tom Reardon, just come to that. Tom Ridden, CEO, Leeds City Council. Thank you so much. Look forward to seeing you very, very soon. Fantastic chat. Do get in touch. And yeah, hats off again to everyone in the city and all the many private investment developers that are making everything run forward. This has been Propcast with Andrew Teacher. Thank you very much for listening. You can subscribe if you haven't already subscribed to Propcast on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search online, leave a review, share it with your friends and send us any abuse, send us any compliments, send us any guest suggestions through email, through LinkedIn. And we'll see you very, very soon. Thank you very much for listening. Take care.